Coming up on this episode of East Screen, West Screen, we talk about some films in the Tokyo competition. We also talk about the Hong Kong Asian Film Festival lineup. Emperor is going to be opening a new cinema in Central, and Peng Ho Chung, of course, wants Leo to round out his love trilogy. And it's my final episode on a Hong Kong movie. So what better way to end that than with Alan Tam's fooling around in Jang Hu? This is East Screen, West Screen with Paul and Kevin, where if films were food, they'd be full of it. Welcome to another episode of East Screen, West Screen. This is the show where we talk about film from Hong Kong to Hollywood and some other stuff in between. I'm your host, Paul Fox, and coming to you from his news desk in the changing room of an Alan Tam concert is Mr. Kevin Ma. Paul, why would I be at an Alan Tam concert? Jesus. Uh, come on, you know you're the president of the fan club, right? <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> you gotta cut this part, right? You gotta cut this part. You gotta cut this part. <laughs> So how are you doing, sir? I'm all right. I um, recently took a trip back to the States for about a week. So that was uh, came back about a week ago. And uh, um, luckily, because of time issues, uh, we, were, we also took last week off. And I was able to uh, take some time to get over the jet lag. So, yeah, things are all right now. So you've been uh, there yourself? and back again, basically, right? It's uh... I've been there and back again. So that's two jet lags I had to get over in yeah. a matter of two weeks. Indeed. Yeah, it's well, not been fun. At the time of this recording, even though we are going to be talking about uh, the last Hong Kong film that uh, I got to watch, and uh, again, the irony of that being an Alan Tam film will uh, appeal to some out there, uh, I think, uh, you know, fans like uh, Kenneth Brorson and others. <laughs> uh, I'm kidding. But, uh, you know, it's been it's been an interesting transition. I'm still kind of in shock through everything um we, i mean we just went out to uh actually we drove for like an hour to find a decent place to have dim sum to yum cha on sunday with some um hong kong former hong kong i guess they'd be hong kong expats now uh you know down in in uh, south florida and it was nice you know it was it was like we were all sitting around kind of sh- you know shooting the breeze in cantonese and and chomping on some very expensive dim sum, unfortunately, because uh, that's the only kind you can get here, I guess. Um, but you know, it was good. It was it was for a moment. It was like being back in a Hong Kong on a Sunday. We are trying to make plans to hopefully be back at some point uh, in the not too distant future, and uh, hopefully that will happen sooner rather than later. But for now, everything's running pretty smoothly, though I am jonesing uh, with no Hong Kong movies to watch. So. Pretty soon, we're going to be making the transition where, uh, I guess, uh, Mr. Ma is going to be picking up the reins to tell us about Hong Kong cinema, and I'm going to try and keep up with whatever I can as quickly as I can, and we'll also be talking about some uh, West Screen films, sort of like, our, I guess, our old format where we'd do a Hollywood film and do a Hong Kong film or an Asian film um, to keep the, keep the show going. So hopefully I won't go through too many stages of withdrawal as that happens. Well, I feel like now that now that you're back in the States, perhaps that we should, you know, think about sort of from your perspective and also, you know, think about perspective of our overseas listener that perhaps you do a little little segment every week about sort of new Asian films that are on iTunes or Amazon, things like that. Because, you know, last week, um, uh, uh, this Korean film named The Wailing came on uh, iTunes is a, is a huge hit from from uh, June and it hasn't been shown in Hong Kong. So you in America get to watch it before we in Hong Kong get to watch these films. Yeah, that's a, that's um, a good angle. I think we can explore something like that for sure. Definitely, and I think it will help you, and, and, and you can also watch the films and you could talk about before, hell, even I get to see these films. Hmm. Uh, ah, yes, the internet. We, we thank you for your streaming service, and please bring more of it, and, and quickly, too. <laughs> A friend of the show, David Harris, I think, pointed out on Facebook that uh, Saving Mr. Wu is hitting 
either one of the streaming services, I think it was Netflix, um, which is good, but it's still like what a year or over, you know, a year later. Um, so it's too bad that we can't get some of these things a little bit more quickly in the cycle, but the fact that we get them at all, I think is still progress indeed. Yeah, you know, when I was in the States, I opened up Netflix to see what's on, and, and there was a surprising amount of sort of new, newish Asian stuff. Um, again, stuff that hasn't been seen even in Hong Kong, that you have to go on Yes Asia to buy this for, or um, uh, you won't be able to see them in, in theaters here in Hong Kong. So I think this could be sort of a new niche tricks of branching out Japanese, Korean, uh, even Hindi, you know, in Bollywood films, Paul. Yeah, yeah, there's definitely room to explore. All right, but enough about our opining about longing for Hong Kong cinema and other Asian cinema in general. Let us get into our content for this week. So let me throw the stick back over to Kevin at the news desk with this week's news. Okay, we're starting with a couple of film festival news news this week. Um, Tokyo International Film Festival just announced um, their lineup yesterday. And uh, it's a pretty good lineup um, in general. Uh, I mean, forget about the opening film, which is uh, was a Florence uh, Foster Jenkins, the one starring Meryl Streep that has been seen around the world already. Uh, forget that. Um, look at the competition. Uh, quite a few interesting films. You got a black and white film called Mr. No Problem, uh, directed by Mei Fang, who is a, a well-known scriptwriter uh, in China. But... Uh, perhaps one that surprised me was actually the appearance of Shet Skin Papa. Um, this is the directorial debut of Roy Sido, who you may remember as Sean Yu's best friend in the Love and the Buff uh, franchise. Um, he's actually a, a renowned stage actor himself, um, and he's the associate director of the Hong Kong Repertory Theatre Group. Um, and this will be his directorial debut. The film stars Francis Ng and Louis Koo. Uh, and it's an adaptation of a play by Norihiko Tsukuda as a Japanese play. Um, not and these the and I'm just reading from the um, uh, uh, synopses that's on on the uh, website. As a frustrated director faces debt and divorce, his elderly father, who's played by Francis Ng, suddenly regains his youth. This moving comedy gradually reveals elements of history and romance. Um, so it seems like Francis Ng is going to be playing Louis Ku's father. Um, I, I'm pretty. Aren't they pretty um, much in the uh, same age generation? Yeah, but I guess the way the story uh, or the, the actual um, concept is that the elderly father suddenly regains his youth. So, so we'll get to see normal Francis Ng most of the time. But the the pictures um, on the on the, on the Tokyo Film Festival website has a old Francis Ng with a sort of loserly loserish looking Louis Ku um, sitting there as a, as a kind of a funny photo. Um, it sounds a bit reminiscent of what was a, what was the Andy Lau movie where he, it was basically kind of like the movie Big where he gets... Oh, it's where he gained, he becomes an adult. Oh, that, but, uh, this, this is like the reverse, so sort of a, a Benjamin Button kind of take, I guess. This seems like a, like a sort of a, a nostalgic thing. You remember the uh, Galen Lowe and Francis Ng series back in like the mid-90s, the TVB show? It's about like the 60s and, mm. and they play like, yeah, it's, it's, it, it has that kind of look to it, it seems like. Um, so I, I'm interested in what this could be. Uh, the, the the director the, uh, director has done, you know, he's a very funny guy. You've seen, remember Love in the Buff or, or uh, Love on the Buff, Love in the Buff, Love on the Buff. Um and and uh, the the rest of the cast is rounded out by Jesse Lee from um, Quarter Call and Jackie Tsai, who was well also in Quarter Call and also in Aberdeen, uh, the Paul Chan film. Um, yeah, um, it's 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 been a long time since a Hong Kong film has gotten into this you know this sort of high position, the competition section of an A list A list film festival. So um, it's a very impressive feat. Um, Anyway, other Chinese films uh, in the lineup uh, include uh, Godspeed, the Taiwan film starring Michael Huey. Yes, the, the Hong Kong comedian Michael Huey. Um, and Operation Mekong, the, the, the Dante Lan film that's coming out this week here in Hong uh, in China. Um, and Xuanzang, where, uh, in which uh, Huan Xiaoming plays the real um, uh, um, 
God, what's his name? Uh, Tripika, you know, the, the, the monk in Journey to the West. This is the real story of the monk, the real monk. There's, so there's no monkey or anything. It's a straight up biopic. But um, yeah, very sort of interesting lineup. Um, uh, if you guys want to see more, uh, go, you guys can go to www.tiff-jp.net or just look up Tokyo International Film Festival and see what else is playing there. Jumping to the next film festival, um, this one, full disclosure, um, I've been involved in this uh, quite closely because I helped write the booklet for this, but the Hong Kong Asian Film Festival lineup has been announced, and um, from what I hear is that the, the festival is very, very proud to announce that both the opening and the closing films are all Hong Kong productions, which is great. Um, so the opening films this year are Mad World, um, one of the first film initiative uh, films, um, the other being uh, Weeds on Fire. Um, this film stars uh, Sean Yu uh, as a uh, young man who is recovering from a bipolar disorder. Um, and Eric Zhang plays his father. Um, the director is Wan Chen, uh, who co-wrote um, The White Storm and actually had a very successful debut, uh, sort of a short film debut uh, in, uh, in the Fresh Wave Film Festival a couple of years ago. And he's definitely one of the uh, up-and-coming directors that's being watched in the industry. The other opening film is Derek Zhang's Soulmate, which stars Zhou Dongyu and Sandra Masi Chen. Uh, it's a youth film uh, that's based on a very popular internet novel. Um, and this Derek Derek Zung, as in Eric Zung's son, his um, solo directorial debut. Um, he actually made a straight up feature film directorial debut with um, uh, God, what's his name uh, on Lovers Discourse, which he co-directed with with someone. Um, so I hope Joe Dongyu shows up. I'm just saying, I bought an opening, I bought a ticket to the opening film. Hope Joe Dongyu shows up. Anyway, the the, the uh, festival will be closing with twenty nine plus one. Um, which stars uh, Chrissy Chow uh, and Joyce Chang, and is based on a very popular uh, one-woman play uh, by Karen Pang. Um, she is she's the creator and the star, but actually she won't be starring in the film adaptation. She's just writing and directing it, uh, which is kind of a smart choice, I think. You're making a directorial debut of a film. You don't want to get distracted, even if you're a director. You don't want, to, well, if you're an actress or actor, you don't want to get distracted by you know sort of doing both. So. Uh, she put Chrissy Chow in in a role that she's played before, um, and and the other film is sorry, not all four Hong Kong films. So actually, the fourth one is a Chinese film. It is Feng Xiaogang's "I Am Not Madame Bovary," starring uh, Fan Bingbing. Um, just won uh, two awards at the San Sebastian Film Festival last week, um, and it's picking up some controversy actually in China because the release date was abruptly pushed back by two weeks, just a few days before, just a week before its opening. Um, so it's you know sort of gaining a lot of track. A lot of rumors, a lot of rumor flying around in China whether whether the, um, the the theatrical cut will be different from what foreign audiences will be seeing because it is about a woman who takes on these bureaucrats in China. It's a film of petitioning. Uh, so it's a very controversial thing. Um, so those are the, the... And the centerpiece film will be uh, the Burmese-Taiwan production, co-production, The Road to Mandalay, which is a comeback film of Kai Ko. Uh, Kai Ko, if you remember, was um, arrested along with Jackie Chan's son, J.C. Chan, uh, on drug charges. Um, and after sort of a bit of a hiatus, uh, Kai Ko is now back and this is comeback film. It's a very interesting production. Um, it's about Burmese migrant workers um, who try to cross to Thailand to find work. Um, so that's a pretty interesting idea. Um, Gala presentation is Snuggle. It's a local documentary about um, three families facing illness and how they they deal with um, how they sort of deal with these in their own way. Um, it is commissioned by a hospital group here in Hong Kong um, uh, who last whose first film actually was Merry-Go-Round, which also premiered at the festival a couple years ago. Um, a couple more interesting films. Um, I think one of the more interesting films is Motaro's Sacred Sailor, which is um, the very f- first feature-length animated film produced in Japan. It's a propaganda film that was backed by the Navy. Um, I'm going to be watching that. Um, there's also... Um, what else? An interesting sort of selection of, of Chinese independent films, including one called uh, Where Are You Going, which is uh, f- shot complete, which shoots Hong Kong completely 
um, through the perspective of a taxi, and it sort of views Hong Kong um, through the conversations of passengers. Um, and you have uh, Hang In There Kids, a uh, Taiwan film, which was a surprising winner of uh, several awards at the Taipei Film Festival this year. Um, yeah, and, and just generally, just really, really strong lineup this year. Of course, you got your can titles. You got Apprentice, the Singapore film. You got um, uh, what else from Can? Uh, well, that's the only Can film. But anyway, uh, so you got Age of Shadows, the new film by Kim Ji Woon, the director of uh, I Saw the Devil. And uh, yeah, just just check out the lineup. If you're coming to Hong Kong around mid October to late October. Uh, it's a great event to visit. Uh, it's the you find the website at www.hkaff.asia, um, and yeah, um, I've bought tickets to thirty-seven movies, so so you probably catch me somewhere uh, during the festival. Uh, that's what I'll be doing. Because the real question is, how many of those will you not get to? Well, I the thing is, a lot of these films I really really want to see, so um, I will be attending at least half of them. I promise. Believe me. So there you have it, Believe ladies me, and gentlemen. I... It's the fifty percent. He's got a, He's got the fifty percent target set. So we'll check in later to see if he actually achieves that this year or not. I will be winning. There'll be so much winning, Paul. There'll be so much winning. Believe me, so much winning in attendance this year. So much winning. All right. Everyone says he's going to win. Everyone says it. <laughs> Everyone tells me I'm going to win. Everyone tells me you're not going to skip the movies. Anyway, yeah. Moving on. <laughs> All right. Yes, indeed. Moving on. So uh, you have some news for us about a new cinema, as in, in, as opposed to cinema closures, which we often hear about. Uh, we actually have a new cinema going to be opening up in Central. Well, this year has been pretty good for sort of opening theaters, and I think we you know we have um, a new theater in Aberdeen, which is the south side of Hong Kong, which hasn't had a theater in you know decade, I mean, over a decade, probably a decade and a half, you got two new theaters opening in East, you know, East New Territories, sort of your, your old hood. Um, and we, we got the, the, the festival walk we opening this year. And we, last year we had, you know, <laughs> small lattes cinema in Shao Wan. And now, um, after losing the Queen Cinema, uh, God, when does Queen Cinema close? Is that 2009, Paul? Um, that sounds about right, 2008, 2009, and I think we went to one of the final screenings there, right? Well, you guys went. I, I think I skipped it. Um, but, yeah, which is, I'm very, very sad about that. But, um, yeah, so after the Queen Theater left, that sort of central, really cent- center of central, right, um, the only theater in that area has been the a- the Pacific Place Cinema in Admiralty, which is AMC Run, and also the IFC um, Cinema, um, sort of, which is sort of outside of Central, not quite Central of Central, right? Uh, but now Emperor is about to change it. Emperor, the people, you know, the big corporation behind, you know, Twins and Nicholas Say and you know these superstars, um, they they are stepping into the exhibition business here in Hong Kong by opening a theater right in the middle of Central. Um, the new theater apparently will be in the. Uh, entertainment building, which is where uh, the central HMV was. Um, the the building actually, I've been to the mall before. I've been to HMV, and and it's very hard to sort of see a theater opening there. But anyway, Emperor is going to invest Hong, uh, fifty million Hong Kong dollars to build a. Um, they say it'd be a sort of a luxury cinema. I'm not sure how lux- luxurious it is, but it'll be about four to five houses, auditoriums. And they're aiming to open early next year, so uh, I hope construction has already begun. Um, not much other, no, no, you know, not many other details at the moment. Nothing about how big the screens will be, or or how many seats, or you know, when they say it's a luxury theater, how luxurious is it going to be? Which means, how affordable are the tickets going to be? Well, they're um, going to be competing with uh, with um, the one in IFC, right? And right. Uh, I guess the other big luxury competition is going to be things like the grand which has their their sort of luxe cinema experience right right Um, what i am afraid of that's what i'm afraid of actually i'm afraid that they will be sort of building this four to five small auditoriums of just you know 15 seats or something and and charge an arm and a leg for a ticket which means forget it i mean it's not i'm never going to go to that theater which which is sad it's like the the houses in the ifc 
they're really small. And I mean, the few times that I, I think I've been there once or twice to watch a movie. And a lot of times when I would check for movies, it seems like the seating is pretty full almost all the time. So I guess there's a fairly solid return. My big concern would be if they're going that high end, they're probably not going to be showing, you know, Wong Jing movies there. You know, they're, they're going to be showing, um, festival stuff, I guess, on occasion and foreign films most of the time, right? Well, obviously going to be showing like happiness around the clock, I think, because it's their <laughs> film. <laughs> and, and then, and then we've got, what's the yeah. next Emperor live, film? Live, uh, live streaming of the Twins concert, right? Yeah, or, or the kid from Big Apple. It'll be like exclusive engagement or something. But no, I, I, so obviously Emperor wants um, every every distribution company in Hong Kong these days want their own cinema, right? Um, Emperor actually does have a have a running deal with ongoing deal with uh, UA Cinema, um, UA Films. Um, they often uh, so UA Films often co-release films with Emperor. Um, in fact, I think Lark might be you know. Lark, which is a company that owns UA, may be in the group. I'm not sure, but um, but UA Films and Emperor have a deal. They 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 co-produce co-release films all the time, um, and then you have Media Asia has a has a release deal with with Media Asia. They actually sorry sorry uh, MCL MCL. Um, they bought actually they they have a, a a huge stake in that company, so they release a lot of their films get really you know get a lot of showings in MCL Cinema. Uh, Broadway, of course, is owned by Echo, which is why Echo went all out on on, on releasing Cold War Two, uh, and Broadway, you know, really went, you know, they they're advertising everywhere in in that chain. So, uh, Emperor really wants to secure sort of at least one theater showing their films, and I suppose that if this is their first cinema in Hong Kong, they're not gonna just want to build like sixty seats, right? Because let's say so, and this is estimating if the fifteen seats each at a luxury house. That's only like 70 seats. There's no way they're going to make their money back, right? So hopefully they will be sort of going the IFC route, which is mini, not mini, but sort of small-ish houses. Um, the IFC, how each each auditorium is about 100 seats, uh, except for the biggest house, which has about 180 seats. Um, and um, and I hope that they would sort of, if they are running that sort of high-end um, um, uh, programming, I hope it's it's sort of creating uh, maybe at least one house devoted to art house cinema. That would be nice um, to to cater to that crowd. I think Central is a perfect place to cater to that crowd. Um, and yeah, it, it's always a good news to get to get more cinema. Emperor has been running a, a fairly successful exhibition business in China, so they're sort of bringing it back to try out the Hong Kong market, and they promise to be a bit to be very aggressive uh, in sort of building their cinema brand. Um, so. Apparently, they will be expanding, expanding pretty aggressively after the decentral cinema opens. Um, also, Pegasus, the company owned by Raymond Wong, also has a cinema uh, in in Mongkok and Langham Place. So, it seems like every company now wants their own cinema. Hmm. Yeah, the interesting thing too is, uh, you know, you have to you have to expect prices there are going to be substantially inflated just because Central is like one of the prime areas in terms of rent. I mean. Even if you consider uh, a normal, you know, uh, matinee screening, uh, the difference between Hong Kong Island and just across the harbor in TST is substantial. I would often, because I, I used to w work right next to Pacific Place, so it would be very easy for me to walk over and see a movie there. Um, but I would never go because there the movie ticket prices, say a matinee ticket would be like, you know, $70 where I just hop on the MTR one station over to TST and go to a place like the one, and it would be $40 or $50, right? Um, so all you're really doing is, you know, paying inflated ticket prices for the inflated rents, really, uh, because things are so much more expensive once you get onto the island. Yeah, um, no, just no doubt. I mean, IFC, I think, has the highest ticket prices in all of Hong Kong. So, so Emperor has no choice but to oblige. Um, it's it's, it's going to be expensive theater, um, but it's good to see a cinema sort of reopen in in middle of Central. Uh, I mean, Central is Hong Kong's you know big business district, and 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 um, like I said, it's always good news to to hear a new cinema opening in Hong Kong, even if it is, uh, you know, the um, the sort of big conglomerate 
own theater. Um, but it's okay. I mean, again, Hong Kong has so few theaters right now. It's always good news. Yeah. All right, our final bit of news this week. Uh, some Pang Ho Chung news. Yeah, I was just checking out some news, and you know, Pang Ho Chung is about to start shooting uh, Love Off the Cuff, the third film in the Love series, uh, which stars Miriam Yeun and, and Sean Yu. Uh, they're shooting next week or next month, I think. Uh, so he's he is um, having an open casting call for extras. Um, and part of the news mentions that that um, Pang Ho is thinking of a couple of you know cameos, and he wants Leonardo DiCaprio in the film. Which, which I think is sort of really uh, a bit of a, a what you would call it. you know it's like a, it's like me as a ten year old kid saying that I want to buy a Porsche, right? I think it's really sort of uh, I have no idea how he's going to get Leonardo DiCaprio, and he's still probably he said he said oh we have he said he's still in talks about getting Leo, but um, he still wants Leo to be in this film, which I think is very odd. But other cameos sort of thrown around um, that news story was uh, Charon Fat. I think. Uh, he wants Sean Fat to make a cameo, but um, the character of Sean Yu's character's dad has been written out of the script already. So I have no idea what these people are going to play. But you know, but the second film did uh, remember. You remember uh, it did sort of have a have a surprise cameo, right? Or two surprise cameos actually. One by Huang Xiaoming, uh, which came out of nowhere, and also Ikin Chen. Um, so uh, they really have to sort of up the ante, right? In the third, the third film. Um, Wow, Paul, do you think they're really going to get Leo? I mean, you know, your analogy is not too far off, except in the idea of a kid wanting to buy a Porsche, if that kid was Richie Rich, right? Because I'm sure Pang <laughs> Ho Chung has the money. If he really is serious, I'm sure he could write a check. And, you know, you, as China movies have shown, you know, actors are willing to come over. Uh, like, what was the film last year? Zhang Ding Man and, and others. You know, you sign a big enough check and they'll come over and, uh, you know, uh, just uh, play on screen for a couple minutes and then be done, you know. And then you get to put their name up there in, in the in the title slot, right? Yeah, Powertron doesn't have that much money, dude. <laughs> I, don't, I, I, don't, I don't know how big they're planning to go with this film, but, but um, I don't know. Because it took like $10 million, U.S. dollars, to get... These to get Leo to go to a uh, film a film festival. And, oh no, it was like some event in Qingdao, right? Yeah. It took him like ten million US dollars. So how much money did Panel Chen have to fork out for him to get actually to get him in for a cameo of, of a local, really local comedy? Um, yeah, it's sort of a pipe dream, but it'd be really funny if he actually pulls it off. Hmm. It'd be interesting to see what, what, what how they use him. Uh, you know if. It, Especially considering how they kind of used Ekin and worked that into uh, Miriam's storyline, that was that was that was well done, I think. Yeah, I, I don't think they're gonna have another backstory where Miriam actually dated the Leo. <laughs> I, she, I really she was, doubt she, it. She was a she was a body double or a stand-in for for Rose when they did Titanic, right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, this is gonna get Sean Yu like some serious inferiority complex because you know, you're like, oh, my ex girlfriend dated dated Ikin Chan, yeah. now Leonardo DiCaprio. <laughs> it makes you feel super, and, and for some reason, Sean Yu is just not enough. Yeah, what kind of world are we living in where Sean Yu is not enough? All right, I think that's gonna wrap it up for our news this week. So let's take a short musical interlude, and we'll be back to talk about this week's film. Fooling around in Jiang Hu. Lam Sun Ying Goi Wun Yu Fu Fong, Lam Sun Ying Goi Sun Mo Gong, Lam Sun Ying Goi Lo Hei Chong Chong, Lam Sun Tin Bat Ta Chi Pa Gong, Mo Mo Da Ga, Mo Yu Yang Zai Yang Kiu Zai, Mo Mo Da. 我沒得趕,我要放明有光輝,我沒得趕放你這一切,我有得趕,我會趕著我,我有得趕,我會轉移你,我有得趕,我會心情太,我有得趕,我會心情太。And we're back. Our film this week, Fooling Around Jiang Hu. This is a film from director Lam Chu Wing who, I guess it's his directorial debut. He's previously got work 
credits as both an actor, mostly in sort of, you know, cameo pop-up roles, and a, a writer um, on films that I think many old Hong Kong film fans would recognize. Um, things like, uh, I think his first credit was on the Andy Lau, Tony Lung film, Don't Fool Me. Um, he's worked on Category 3 films on occasion, things like Girls on Button. He was also one of the writers for uh, Vulgaria from a few years ago. So, you know, he's got a, a pretty well-rounded career in that aspect and sort of the production side. And now he takes on the uh, director's chair. Now, my question here for Kevin before we get into the film proper, I mean, is he is he going to be up for a best new director for this film? Because he is he, a new director. He's eligible, I guess. Yeah. But I mean, Lem Chu Wing, but Lem Chu Wing has been around for decades. Yes. Like he is. He is one of the sort of top members of. He's one of the top comedy writers of his generation. Um, so he's been around so long that I don't think anyone's going to remember him as like a new director candidate. Right. But he is eligible apparently. This is his first, technically his first film. So yes, the film itself stars. Um, it stars Alan Tam as we mentioned. It also stars Christine M and Jordan Chan among a, a, a slew of cameos by other Hong Kong uh, celebs and veterans. The story is about a wannabe singer turned triad boss named Golden Allen, of course, and he faces struggles to maintain order in the society as a, as a rival played by Christine Ng and her philandering husband played by Jordan Chan plot to take control for themselves. But when an ex-flame from Allen's youth turns back up, he starts to realize what his dreams really are. So for this film, you want to think a little bit about films like election right because you've got this whole idea of sort of the internal power struggle to become the head of the triad and um it tries to get into ideas about control and a little bit of the democratic side of things we've seen kind of touched on in other films but it's never really too serious and it's genre bending at times i mean it tries to come off as a comedy for the most part but then it's got moments where it's kind of a little bit dark um, at the same time. So I was never really sure what it was trying to be. And if you look at the poster, right, this is a case where the film poster kind of looks serious for the most part. So if you take a look at the original poster over on a Hong Kong movie database, but then you look at the trailer and the trailer comes across more like a Wong Jing style comedy. So it's got a little bit of an identity problem with itself I think going going into it I wasn't really sure what to expect when we sat down and you if you think about um the film Once a Gangster also I think with uh, Jordan Chan and Ikan Chang um it's really along those lines but it la this film lacks the same level of quality I think especially in terms of being coherent and and finding comedy bits that that work um Jordan Chan uh, he is here again, and he, you know, he's somebody I've always liked, but he tends to bounce around a lot these days, right? I mean, this year we've got, he's got three local films. We've seen him in uh, Trevisa earlier this year. He was also in Buddy Cops, a film which I haven't caught just yet. But then you go back to last year, um, and he was doing mainland China films, right? Things like um, Jiang Man, which I mentioned earlier, He's got titles called things like The Right Mistake and BMW Rhapsody. So he's been doing work in China with stuff that, you know, I guess is not meant for our eyes because they never send these films down here. Um, I, get, I guess you have to be in China to, to actually watch them or um, to get DVDs of them because I don't even see these titles popping up on things like uh, Yes Asia. I mean, maybe they're there hidden in some archive. Maybe Kevin... And tell us some more about that um but you know he has been working continuously but it seems like we don't see him that often in hong kong films because he takes these jaunts and i think he's been doing um uh films up there with his wife as well shiri ying they um because i i saw her name on some titles as well so he's been kind of bouncing back and forth so i'm glad he's back to hong kong uh doing some films again and hopefully We'll get a little bit more output from him here than uh, before he hops back up uh, on the train to the mainland. Uh, Christine Ng is also here, uh, an actress who I normally really love, but I got to say, to be honest, in this film, it's like nails on a chalkboard. 
Um, <laughs> they've made her up to look like a sort of glam rock model from an 80s music video. And I, I normally think she's a gorgeous looking woman. And I just don't like this look. I don't know if it's the makeup directors or the art directors. Um, it, it just, it, she just doesn't look good with this, all this heavy makeup on and her hair kind of all slicked back. Uh, I wish they would have just given her, let her, you know, do kind of the normal stuff, the normal makeup she does when she does TV appearances and things, because she normally looks really great. Um, and she's fine. I mean, for the most part, um, she comes across as, you know, sort of the main villain here um, as she's push, pushing herself and her husband to try and get control. Um, but then they kind of, you know, it, it seems like they're at odds with each other, but then they're teaming up together. It's kind of hard to follow. And in the, for the most part, this film, if you want to talk about the narrative, it's not very coherent because it almost feels like comedy skits or segments that have been kind of slapped together and thrown together. Um, and even though you have some veterans here who pop up on occasion, people like Nat Chan and others, um, there's just not enough to really make the film totally coherent, right? There's this whole subplot story with um, baby John Choi, and he ends up in a relationship with a social worker, and, and then they just disappear for the rest of the film. And it's like, you're never really sure what the point of that was. Um, then they show up briefly again at the end. And, and it, despite all of this, it's a strikingly short movie, right? It's only like 84 minutes long. Um, and it still feels longer than that. Um, and despite all that, there's apparently a lot of stuff that they cut out because you see stuff, you know, they have standard sort of outtakes and NG moments in the credits. And there's things there that never actually made it into the film. Um, so it's hard to recommend this film to anybody but the staunchest of Alan Tam fans. And I know that there are some of those people out there. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm not an Alan Tam hater. Um, I can take him or leave him, you know, um, he's, he's not a top priority on my must watch list, but I've seen him in films before where I thought, oh, you know, he's, he's, he's okay. He's, you know, he's, he's watchable at times. Um, but I do know that there's a cohort out there of the sort of anti-Tam group, you know, that they're, they're, they're not on team Tam, uh, and they would definitely not uh, find this film appealing at all. And of course, you know, it's an, as an Alan Tam film, there's got to be songs at times. So yes, you get to be graced by Alan singing at certain points um, and pretending to be a teenager, which is always fun. You know, when you see these guys who are uh, a generation or two older than me uh, dressing up to pretend like they're 20 somethings or teenagers. So yeah, there it is in a nutshell, basically a sort of triad slash comedy that really can't find its its footing all too well. Um, it's not one you should probably rush out and buy uh, when it pops up, but perhaps, you know, if you can see it on streaming or as a rental um, and you like Alan Tam, you know, you can give it a go. So Kevin, let me throw it over to you and get your take on uh, this film. Oh, man. What a dreadful movie. What a dreadful... I apologize on Twitter for this movie because you had to sit... This was your last, this was your last film in Hong Kong, right? I mean, you didn't watch yes. the cases too, right? No, I, I was... I had planned to go out and try and watch it the next day and then, you know, we were just so busy with stuff before the move and the flight that I just couldn't do it. I, I had to, like, apologize for Hong Kong for inflicting this movie on you. Seriously. It was just dreadful man like okay so Lum Chiu Wang he's um he has a regular spot on a uh current events or current affairs sketch show called headliners and his little segment is these are these um parodies of, of commercials you know existing commercials but all made of sort of a current event skew or current events sort of um uh, version of them um and, and they're mildly funny and they're okay and you know too Burst of three minutes or so, you know, it's fine. But when stretched out to 85 minutes in that style, it is absolutely, you know, just like you said, you know, nails on a chalkboard, annoying. Um, the whole film just didn't work. It was just these sort of pieces of of, of themes and, and ideas sort of thrown together without any real plot to string it together. Um, Alan Tam... What, he was like in two different movies. One of them, he in one of those movies, he thinks he's like Stephen Chow, and the other movie, he's trying to win a Hong Kong Film Award. So I don't know what the hell he's doing. 
Like, at one point serious, and then one point he's not, and then he seems to be taking it all too seriously, and then the next thing he's not taking it seriously enough, he's sort of fooling around, like the title says. Um, then you got that whole little, you know, tangent off with, with Baby John, and you know, never amounts to anything. And Jordan Chan, really, I think him and Christine Ng, they were just like battling to be the most annoying person in the film. Um, and and I think it's a tie, which means we they they tie, we suffer. All right, that's the problem. Okay, and, and it was just a dreadful, dreadful film. I really hated it, and and, I, and I, I'll just repeat something on Twitter: that its devastation, just how bad it is, can only be measured by the hundreds of things, better things I could be doing with eighty-five minutes. <laughs> that's how me- that's how shitty it was. All right, sorry, we just went to explicit again. <laughs> I. Yeah, I just I just couldn't hold it back. I'm sorry. Um, yeah, uh, like I said, the I have no idea what what's going on, and, and I, the whole idea, I guess, it was supposed to be like a triad, um, um, sort of take on. I don't know what the hell it is. I mean, it, I could see where they started the starting point of the film it was like a, a gangster film and you know like i said like sort of in the style of like one's a gangster or um um and it was originally called the Hu comedy so um in a way it was almost like the vulgaria or something of 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 gangster comedy in a way to be it was supposed to be like um a satiric satirical but it comes off as juvenile it comes off as as annoying and it's convoluted and it's absolutely illogical, it's pathetic and just just a complete failure all, all around, right? And then, um, seriously, one of the worst films of the year and um, only perhaps matched by Chinese Odyssey Part Three. I don't know. I just watched it on Sunday. Um, I absolutely hated it, but perhaps not as much as I hated fooling around Jiang Hu. Which, which is quite sad because I, you know I think Lam Chu Wing he he is a funny guy and and uh, he taught he's a he's a teacher he's a he teaches script writing right at, at my at my film school and he's a very smart guy his ideas right he's he writes he's been on a lot of you know um, uh, comedy shows he has a very long history and he's well respected at one point at, at a time um, forget about his wife who's a super pro who's become the super pro government really controversial figure. Um, and it sort of made him uh, also sort of a controversial, controversial figure just by association. But he's a talented guy, so it's really weird to see him churning out, end up churning out something like this. It's just really odd. And yeah, I, I really don't have any sympathy for him, really, because he. I, I can't tell what kind of company or studio interference there would be on this film. That hasn't, and if studio interference to make the film better turned out this way, I hate to see the rough cut. I don't want to see what 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 Lam Chewing had in mind. So, yeah, this is a completely dreadful film, and um, I would only recommend it to my worst enemy if I had him tied to a chair and I want to torture him. And to make him wish for death, which I would never give him, because I will keep this film looped for a week while locking him in a basement, and, and until he starts memorizing the song, the, the theme song of the film, um, and then I would consider letting him out. Only, really, it's only my worst enemy. Seriously, uh, it is that kind of film. Uh, and unfortunately, as I said, there's quite a few cameos. There are, there's the se- seemingly requisite cameo by Bob Lamb, who I think next to Louis Koo has to be in every film now, right? Uh, at least anything that's labeled as a comedy. Uh, they seem to want to pull him in. You get the Fama guys, uh, Lok Wang and Si Kwan, uh, showing up on occasion, but some old timers too, like Joe Jr. and and others as well. And just I, really just not enough here. I, I think somebody joked as we were walking out of the cinema that this is what you get when you write a film. Um, based on stealing gags from the Golden Forum, right? I mean, I don't, <laughs> I don't know if that's really the case, but um, it's just it's it it really does feel like different films at times, um, and it's a shame because it's you know a pretty strong cast of people who I'd normally very much enjoy seeing on screen, and it's just not there's just not enough there to really latch on to. 
I mean, even like with a Saturday Night Live episode, you know, you've got some skits that are going to be, you know, it's going to run the range, you know, some are average, some fall flat, but a couple will work really well. And in this case, I couldn't even really remember one that I thought worked really well, right? Um, so again, as we were saying, I think if you're in the mood for a comedy that's more centered around uh, gangs and gangsters, you know, you can try the more recent Once a Gangster. Go back to, you know, something like Days of Being Dumb, which I think, you know, really um, gets the humor and, and, and applies it well, um, at least for, you know, the gangs of that time period. I know things have changed uh, since then, but uh, even so, this film doesn't manage to really tap into that all too well. Though, from the outtakes, it seemed like the cast was having a good time. The cast, well, I hope so. I mean, at least Christine Ng and, and Jordan Chan seem to be enjoying the spirit of competition on set. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, we were talking about a Bob Lamb thing, and then a complaint. I mean, the, yeah, Bob Lamb plays an internet radio show host um, who is literally just sitting there telling a story. He's like the um, he's like the storyteller we see in period films that's like filling in the blanks, yeah. except he's telling half the freaking story, right? Like... There is at least half a movie's material that's happening outside this film, and and this is something that's that's really so problematic. It's a really lazy way of script writing. It's having um, that story, you know, this Greek storyteller guy, right, sitting which there is, filling the blanks. Which is, I mean, they do have that kind of a show. Although from my experience, it's not centered on telling gangster stories. It's more centered on like supernatural and ghost stories. They have right. they have these kind of hosts, right? Uh, they do exist. That is that is a job that that people have. Usually, they're on like you know late at night. They're not prime time hosts. Um, but yeah, that his his whole segment really feels like filler more than anything else because he's just kind of narrating stuff that you're about to see or that that we've already just seen. You know, um, and and so he's also narrating all these like all these setups that should have been in the story right. but it's all happening outside the story but yet you kind of need to know them because it's what makes sense it's all that stuff that makes sense but like they should be in the story but it's not just because he is too lazy to be have a more clever way to 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 put them in the film right. well there you have it folks if you are you know of a like mind to enjoy some alan tam maybe pick up his latest concert dvd instead and uh, yes. you'll probably have a better time <laughs> If you have a list of enemies that you would like to torture, <laughs> like I said, and and you want to, you 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 probably have an enemy that hates Alan Tam. This is your film. You're listening to the East Screen West Screen podcast. Visit Comcast.com for more. You have been listening to the Screen Rest Screen Podcast. Our theme music was composed by Rob Jabor of Snow's Radio Orchestra. Research has come from a variety of sources, but primarily lovehkfilm.com and the Hong Kong Movie Database. We also get a tremendous amount of moral support from listeners like you. So if you would like to be part of the show, get in touch with us, please, at our website. That is concast.com. You can follow us on Twitter, twitter.com slash concast. You can email, email us at eastscreen at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook at East S West S. As always, I would urge you to follow along with what Kevin is doing, since he's the sole Hong Konger of the moment, uh, over with the work that he does. Kevin, where can they find out more about you? Well, you can read my writing uh, every month on Discovery Magazine and on Civil Road Magazine. Uh, one is on Cathay Pacific Airways. The other is on Cathay Dragon. Um, this The October issue is coming out. Um, I have an article about the local documentary, The Taste of Youth, or A Taste of Youth, by director King Chun. Um, there's also an article about... Um, 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 wow. About... Oh, about Daniel Wu, actually. Daniel Wu, uh, Into the Badlands, and about um, his sort of foray to Hollywood. Um, yeah, uh, so you can read those on the two airlines, or you can check out 
the magazine app, Discovery app, on your iPad app store uh, to search Discovery, and you should be able to find that. You can also follow me on Twitter. I'm at the Golden Rock. That's one word, the Golden Rock. You can also email me at thegoldenrock at gmail.com. Uh, anyone who's looking for me via Filmbiz Asia, that email cannot receive mail anymore. So if you really do want to email me, please contact me either through my Twitter or uh, at thegoldenrock at gmail.com. All right, excellent. And um, a side note, I would urge you that if you haven't done so, if you don't listen to the podcast on Fire Network, please check out Podcast on Fire episode number 225 on The Lunatics and the replacement killers, and you will hear our very own Kevin Ma over there with the uh, the network uh, god, as we will call him, uh, Kenneth Brorson, talking about uh, those two films, Lunatics and Replacement Killers, and uh, yeah, it's a very excellent episode, so please give it a listen. Thank you, sir. That was a really lot of fun, and it's a rare chance because we always talk about new films, but um, it's it's really more interesting to talk about the older films where you have a bit of hindsight and a lot of sort of historical context uh, to put into it to 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 these to these films. So that was a very interesting discussion, and uh, yeah, I hope you all check it out. Yes, indeed. Our next show, episode two zero seven, and since I'm out of the Hong Kong hot seat, um, what kind of Hong Kong film do you think we'll be talking about? Well, I could talk about a uh, Chinese Odyssey Part 3, the Jeff Lau film, or this week we'll be catching Operation Milano, or Mission Milano, the new, the new Wang Twitch. Jing film. Is, is the, the new, new Switch, uh, Switch movie? Uh, I don't know, but like I, I said before, I clearly love Hong Kong movies more than my mental health being. Mm. I don't know why I'm doing this to myself. All of that and more on our next show. Until then, this is the East Screen, West Screen podcast saying we wish you good viewing, be it from Hong Kong or the United States or anywhere else in the world. And we'll see you next time. See you next time, everybody. Oh,